morning, everybody. It's so great to be here with you. It's a real honor to just worship Jesus. I love just being with different families of God, right? Where we just, we're brothers and sisters and we come from a lot of different places, but Jesus is our King and he's just good. So thanks for leading us in worship guys, Alex and Crystal and to all the setup crew, thanks. And I was gonna get a cup of coffee, but I'd already had some, so, but thanks for, <laughs> thanks for brewing the coffee, the coffee team. Um, well, I was having, speaking of, I was having coffee with Jake back in May and uh, I just said, hey man, if you just need to take a Sunday off sometime, just call me up. I'd love to share with your church. And um, so here we are. And um, my wife and my three boys couldn't make it this morning, but I wanted you to meet them really quick, at least a picture. Um, so there's my wife, Jennifer. We've been married for about 15 years. And my boys, uh, Liam Gladden and Rocco, are really awesome. They, uh, they're wild and wonderful. We don't have to look for something to do at my house. There's been a lot of baseball, a lot of looking for bugs all along the way. But um, yeah, so they, uh, they're such a joy. They're such a gift to me. A, uh, a quick snapshot into our lives, just to give you a little bit of context of where I'm coming from and kind of what I'm about and what we've been up to um, before I share. We moved to Knoxville back in 2004 to help start a non-denominational Christian church. So for about six years, my wife and I were college pastors. We were over at the University of Tennessee passing out waters and Capri Suns and Jesus' name and just trying to share Jesus with people. And then uh, there was a transition and I was the lead pastor for four years. And then there was another transition where, and this is like, 15 years really fast, but, um, but I really had it on my heart to go back to school and get a professional degree in counseling. So I got a master's in marriage and family therapy. I really wanted tools to help people in a, just in a professional way, kind of in a covert way in the city. So I'm a counselor here in Knoxville and uh, my wife does interior design now. And so she really geeks out about fabrics and wallpapers and things like that. And for me, I get super excited about just relational transformation and marriages that can get restored. And so, and that was part of what, for us, we did some Christian counseling and um, things were so tough, so stressful. And God just did such a work in me and such a work in us that we both get super excited about heart and home transformation. So we really love, we talk about wanting to inspire strength and beauty from the inside out. And that's kind of, as God's called us on, that's part of our journey. So just a little Polaroid. Um, and the journey continues. Um, I would say God's been with us all along the way. Um, it's so tempting to try to do it on your own, but I'm so thankful that God is, is with us, right? Um, and we're all on a journey, um, no matter where you're from or what's going on with you. I think we would all probably say uh, we're doing the best we can. You know, um, we're just trying to wake up in the morning. Uh, good coffee helps, right? And um, just trying to work hard and pay the bills and love our family well and um, love our friends well and just try to follow Jesus and walk in his ways and 
um, instead of the world's ways, right? No one is perfect here, not one, yeah. And sometimes I just, it's such a sigh just from deep within just to recognize that. No one's perfect. I'm not perfect. My wife's not perfect. My kids aren't perfect. My pastor's not perfect. Only Jesus is. And see, that's the good news. Is we're all in need. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, he made a way for us to be reconciled back to God. And because of his blood, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, we can be alive in him. And we can be restored and renewed and we can have friendship with God. And I love that about who he is, that we're invited into friendship. Um, it's kind of my view and it's not your view, but it's like the dragon in the night back here. If you just, if you've never noticed that it's really, uh, you know, it's like, there it is. But, um, but quite the, quite the example of, we have an enemy who wants to steal and to kill and destroy. And yet we have Jesus who wants to give us abundant life. And so on our journey, um, Jesus offers abundant life. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with you wherever you are. And uh, I just want to pray again and then kind of get into some of the meat of what I want to talk about today. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 62 while I pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for your, your kindness to us, for your your hand that leads us and guides us. And when we don't know what to do and we don't know where to go, thank you that you're the, the wise one. So wise, so kind, so good. So open our minds, open our hearts, open our lives to what you want to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the Psalms. Who loves the Psalms? Uh, so for me, I just start off by saying that um, I, I just, I spend a lot of time in the Psalms. Just, it, it's, there's so much permission to be human and to just be raw with God. I'll say it that way. You know, David and the Psalmist, there's just really hard questions that they ask, you know? God, do you hear me? Where are you? You know, are you, why are you so far from saving me? These kinds of, these kinds of questions. And along the way, there's, there's little conjunctions of praise, you know, even in Psalms, uh, Psalm 22, where Jesus quotes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? And, and in the verses following, you see this conjunction of praise of, yet you are holy. The, the, the yet or the but, um, but you're God. Whom, whom have I in heaven but you? you? You have the words of eternal life. This is almost like what we see where Peter's saying, where, where would we go? You know, and it's you, God. We return to you. 
Here's all the mess. Here's all the junk that's going on in my life. And I got to get that out. And then I'm, I'm getting it out before you because it's a safe place to get it out. And then, and then I, I trust you. I, I, I pour my heart out to you. I trust you. You're, you're my refuge. And that's a little bit of where I'm going today. And so if you look at Psalm 62, 8, it says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So if you've ever tried to do it on your own, you know that it can get pretty exhausting pretty fast. Even if it's just a simple chore. Um, so uh, I'll tell a story in a little bit where I tried to cut a tree down yesterday and I tried to do it all by myself and with a handsaw. And I got a little help later, but I'll tell that in a second. But if you try to do, if you try to do it on your own, um, in, in your heart, in your life, you get pretty tired pretty fast and you get wiped out and you look up and you're, you're wondering, man, would have been good if I'd had some help along the way. Why didn't I ask for help? And I think for me, I've noticed that there are two main places in my life where, um, where I try to do it on my own. Um, I'll call them godless places. And the first, it might surprise you, but it's what I want to say is religiosity. Like the Pharisees. Pharisees knew all there was to know about the law, and yet it was godless. Would you agree? So they did a whole lot of rule following and not a whole lot of Jesus following, right? And so for me and my self-righteousness, I build this tower and I look down on everybody else judging what they should be doing. And I realize that I'm putting burdens on myself that even I can't hold up, right? And when I get so tired by the rules and the law, I move from religiosity, which is godless, all the way over to rebellion, which is also godless. Because if I can't do this, then why try? And I'll just do whatever I want. So then in my selfishness, I do it without God. And I just, you know, if it feels good, do it. I'm just gonna, it's all about feeling good. It's about me. The, the self-righteousness is about me, but also the selfish sin is about me. And without God, man, we're pretty empty on the inside, right? So there's got to be another way. And so maybe like the Pharisees on this side, rebellion on this side, you know, like the prodigal son of just... I don't want to be in my father's house and I'm just going to go off and do my own thing. And the only way forward in the journey is relationship with Jesus. And I, I kind of have a funny word, relationship. 
you know, like a Facebook uh, profile, and I and and I've been guilty of doing Facebook too much. I kind of had to, to be honest, had to limit some of my time because I was just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. It's kind of like the Big Mac, you know. It's like it fills me up, but it doesn't give me the nutrients of of relationship like this is, like face to faces. And so, in our walk with Jesus, in the same way, did you ever wonder why with Moses, where the intimacy is described as face to face with God? Your eyes, your nose, your ears, your mouth, just everything is right there, the intimacy. It wouldn't work too well with a husband and a wife if it was back to back, you know, just like, like you, you couldn't see. It, that's not intimacy that way. Love you, honey. <laughs> Love you, honey, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but this engaging with, with God face to face like Moses knew God, that kind of real relationship, I think, is what, I want to talk about first is the the trusting him. The first thing I want to talk about is the trusting him. A relationship with him. Trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I think it's a risk to trust, right? Um, There's that believing, there's that um, hoping and depending that he'll be there for us. Um, I think in the English language, we get pretty confused because we don't have a, a, a verb form of the word faith. So you don't say, I was faithing today, you know? We say things like believing or trusting, but, uh, but a real a relationship with Jesus looks like faithing, if I can just make up a word. It's, it's I am, he, I'm depending on him. He's the wisest one. He's the safest one. Trust in him at all times that I can't fall further than Jesus. So that's where the life is. If you want abundant life, that's where the life is, a real relationship with Jesus. Um, most of you guys have made some kind of commitment or decision or, or a surrender, however you want to say it, to, to Jesus making him the king. My eight-year-old just um, was baptized about a week or so ago, and um, just a sweet, sweet time where he's saying, you know, I want Jesus to be the king of my life. But that's where the life is because we're not just needing water and food and shelter. We are spiritual. And so our trusting in him, that is the heaven down inside out life that we're wanting. Not religiosity, not rebellion. So back to the tree. So there were four trees in my yard that were planted by the... um, city we live kind of right on the greenway and uh i'd been looking at this dead tree since about february so of the four the one on the end what had died um we don't know exactly why but i i started to notice in february that there weren't any buds starting to kind of form and i'm like oh bummer you know and it was kind of like the runt of the litter i think it didn't get enough light or anyway but um 
And I'm kind of like, ah, uh, maybe I'll cut it down later. It's not a big deal. And, and, but yesterday I'm like, finally, I'm going to cut it down. And I got my, I got my, and I'm like, I'm, I got the handsaw. I'm going to do this thing. And I was kind of, you know, I just needed to get some stress out. Do you know what I'm talking about, men? You just got to go out and do some yard work sometimes. And it was just one of those moments. And so I went out with my handsaw. I'm actually super sore today, but, uh, but there are kind of four main lens at the top and my, and, and I'm, I'm getting through it. My kids are coming out there. They do about two, you know, like lumberjacks, it's the real deal. But my, but my kids do a few, few, uh, saws. I don't know what you say. Um, and they're like, okay, I'm good. And they like go back inside. And so there I am by myself and, uh, my neighbor runs by, he runs a lot on the greenway and, uh, and I wave, I'm like sweating. I'm like drenched in sweat. And he runs by and then turns around after about 15 steps. And he's like, you know, I have, I have an electric uh, a chainsaw. <laughs> if you want to borrow it, will you be here for about an hour? I'm like, yes, thank you so much. You know, I didn't know how long it was going to take. And so he helped me finish the, the trunk. But I tell that to say that that really did happen yesterday. It's not just a sermon illustration. But I started to think about how, you know, the dead things in our lives, like, have to go. Like the places where it's been godless, so with the religiosity and the rebellion, the places where there's no life spiritually, those things have to go. And then we reconnect with the source of, of real life, Jesus, a friendship with him, a hand in hand, moment by moment, face to face relationship with Jesus, trusting him at all times. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, or some translations will say remain in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's this place of connecting. And I love John 15 and those, and those few verses. I think the word abide or remain is said about 10 or 11 times. So there's something about remaining and abiding and tr that's about the trust. And that's where the life that we're hoping for is coming from. So God knows, knows all of us, you know, he knows hairs or the gray hairs or the no hairs or the <laughs> parts of our hearts even, right? He knows every part of you. And so he knows what abundant life looks like and, and it's through him. And then kind of as I, I go into the second part of this, so trust in him at all times, pour out your heart before him. He knows what's going on in your inner world. And for those of us who uh, have kids, the, the birth process, you know, I, by the third child, I just started saying, Jen, thanks, thanks for being pregnant. You know, I was like, this, this is such a long process. And so to all the, the moms that have mommed us, birthed us, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But God made us, he gave us the ability to think and to feel to dance and to move. I'll read part of Psalm 139. For you far, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I love that word, intricately, that God is intricately aware of every part of you. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I was talking to my eight-year-old. He makes us laugh. His name's Gladden, like make me glad. And he's our little comedian, but he was telling me about how he had a dream where God made him. And I was like, that is so cool. Tell me about it. What was he doing? What was God? And he was saying, he's making my hair. He's making my eyes. I'm like, that's so cool. And, uh, and I was like, what was he making you out of? He thought for a second. He was like, meat and cardboard. <laughs> and I was like, okay, meat and cardboard. You know, it's just sometimes the way kids like explain things. It's like super cute. But we're more than meat and cardboard. I mean, we're physical, we're, um, we're intellectual, we're, um, we're social, we're sexual, we're emotional, ah, emotional. I was sitting with someone recently and they said, yeah, like Christians aren't supposed to be afraid. And I said, huh, let's talk about that for a little bit, you know, try not to be too counselorly, you know. But the second point that I wanna, wanna kinda highlight here and give you a bit of my opinion, give you, give you a bit of my interpretation, okay? Pour out your heart to the Lord. So there's this place of sharing honestly with him, sharing authentically with him, being genuine in what's actually happening in your inner world. We see the characters in scripture constantly doing it. Um, even Jesus. Um, he was in his humanness. Okay, so he was 100% God and he was 100% man. Do you agree? So in his humanness, it talks about, and I just read this in Luke, but that where he would often retreat to desolate places to pray. So in my opinion, that is communicating a bit of not only his connection to the Father, but his limitations where he had been around crowds all day long. I mean, I can just go to the grocery store and it's like, I'm done, you know? It's like, I'm an old extrovert, more introvert now, but, but the point is, is that we have limits and there are parts of the inside of us that we need to be raw and honest with God. And I think that in this Psalm, this is part of what the invitation is for us to pour out our heart to him. God's life is messy. You know, we, wouldn't it be great if, if we were just like the perfect pie chart, you know, and we had like the, you know, this is just 25% of, of me, you know, athletic. This is, you know, I just want 10% of the emotional, just keep everything kind of in the right, bo- the right little pie chart, you know, light, you know, it wouldn't be so messy, but guys, there's sin, there's pain, there's suffering, there's betrayal, there's car wrecks, there's cancer, there's just junk that hurts in this life because this isn't the way it should be, right? And 
in Proverbs 14.4, this is one of my favorite Proverbs, says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So we have, I, I talk about my kids a lot, but if you have, if you, if your parents, you understand, it's just it constantly just you having to navigate things. And we have this mudroom and it would be like the mudroom would be clean if it weren't for my children. Now, I would probably bring mud in and that kind of stuff, too. But I'm like, I just we just swept in here. There's like grass and everything. And and so in this life, wouldn't it be clean if it weren't for the sin? Wouldn't it be clean if it weren't for the betrayals and the diseases and the hurricanes. It's a fallen world. And when life doesn't play fair, what do we do? We pour out our heart to the Lord. Y'all with me so far? So I'm kind of talking about our emotional realm a little bit, about what it looks like to be raw and honest and to get it out. So first, we're trusting in him at all times. We're, we're faithing. And then it's that opportunity and that intimacy to, to be honest with God about what's really going on the, on the inside and to pour out our heart to him. Uh, how many of you guys remember your first car? You know, some of you guys are like, there's fond thoughts. You're just thinking of the, the old truck or the old Toyota or whatever it was. Some of you guys are like good riddance. You know, uh, I had, my first car was a 1986 Pontiac. It was this little white car, uh, the 6000 STE Touring Edition, like sports touring edition. And the muffler was like a little weird, so it would be like, you know, kind of as I drove. Um, and it was a dumb teenager mistake. But on my dashboard, when I would when I would mash on my brakes, the the brake light on the like something's wrong with your brakes light was coming on. Uh, when I would push on my brakes, and and as a 16 year old, you know, I'm just driving. I'm like, huh, that's weird. Every time I do this, this light comes on, huh? So I just kept I kept driving. I kept just around town. I was. Uh, you know, just doing what a teenager does, going to Waterburger. I grew up in Texas. Waterburger's really good, and going to baseball practice and this kind of thing. And one day, I was going through this intersection, and I was so horrified when my car wouldn't stop. My brakes went out. And honestly, it was a miracle that I didn't get hurt, get killed, hurt someone else, wreck my car. But I, I kind of went into this grass, kind of this, this embankment and, and stopped. But it was a scary moment. Has anybody had a break? You know, their break spot is just super scary. And um, I learned an important lesson as far as cars go that day to always pay attention to what's blinking on your dashboard, whether you want to or not. And I tell that story I think it connects, at least for me, about my emotional world. So you can keep driving around, so to speak, if you're hurt or you're sad or you're afraid or you're feeling shame or you're feeling lonely. You can keep driving around, but that's the thing about our emotions is they don't just go away, they keep blinking. And we can 
stuff them way down in there for weeks, for months, for years, but I think we end up paying the consequences later. And I think what this verse encourages me to do, Psalm 62, eight, to pour out my heart before him, it's to not stuff my emotions, but to let them come out in his presence before him. So some of us are stuffers in this room and some of us are like spewers. And if you stuff long enough, you're eventually gonna spew. It's like the, it's like the dormant volcano, right? Um, but I don't think ignoring our emotions is working and I don't think selfishly spewing our emotions on Facebook is working either. I think there's something about bringing our raw inner world, pouring our heart out before the Lord in his presence where we're permission, that we have permission to be human. This is a hard one for me. Uh, man, I, along the way, especially as a minister, uh, I felt this pressure that probably I put on myself, but just as a leader sometimes to like have it all together, to have like the I'm fine, you know, I'm fine, doing okay, I'm fine. And along the way, we started asking a question uh, in our staff meetings, and it was, it was so amazing uh, how it, it kind of changed some things around for us, but we would ask, we'd go around as a staff, and we would ask, how are you doing, really? Question mark. And sometimes we'd have to put things aside, and we would pray for a staff member that was going through this, or I would say, uh, my wife and I just had a fight, and I'm scared, and I need you to pray for me. And, and so I think there's a place to be honest and raw before God, but also before others. Um, if you've seen the movie, uh, A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks, you remember this, the famous scene where he's like, are you crying? There's no crying in baseball. And growing up playing baseball, this was, the, this was what, as a young guy, where I, I believed I had to be this John Wayne and just be tough and just suck it up and not be affected. And sometimes in our religious circles or in just the way we begin to think about uh, our, our, our emotional life, it's almost like we start to say that there's no crying in the New Testament. Almost. I mean, different denominations, different groups have different thoughts on the way we should handle our emotions. But I think that there's something about where it's like, we've got to do it on our own. We've got to do it. We've got to be tough, put on the face, put on the mask. I've got this. And I would say early on, it was, it was almost taboo uh, in my, growing up. If, if you heard of someone going to counseling, it was like because they killed someone with a sword, you know? I mean, I'm, I don't, I don't want to make light of that, but, but like it had to be like bad, bad, bad to like actually reach out for help, you know? And so the thing about crying in the New Testament is there's a lot of it. In fact, our perfect Jesus weeps at the death of Lazarus. In his sovereignty, he knew that Lazarus would be raised up from the dead, and yet he entered into the human emotion and wept with Mary and Martha and the family. How much more can we have permission 
to pour out our heart before the Lord with what it is that's going on inside of us. And we love this little, you know, phrase as it's translated so neatly that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit in that, you know, in that section of scripture where it says Jesus wept. And through some of my studies, from what I'm aware of, this is not that Jesus was smiling like this and deeply moved, you know, oh, deeply moved. And just you wait, Lazarus will be raised from the dead. No, the deeply moved in spirit, it's, the context is, is like the ugly cry. This is like the braying like a horse. This is our savior showing how much love and care and compassion he had for that family. And so how much more do we have permission to feel, to feel sad, to feel overwhelmed? And so I don't think, so this is my opinion, I don't think emotions in and of themselves are sin. I think our emotions, what we do with them, where we go with them, that is the question. So I'll let you think about that. But when I see a perfect Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, wrestling, not my will, but your will be done, sweating drops of blood because he doesn't wanna go to the cross and be crucified. There's permission for us to wrestle, to ask questions, to pour out our heart before the Lord. And so I have no idea how we're doing on time, um, but I wanna give you a couple closing points here. Where, where do we go to? How much time do I have, Alex? You're good. You're like 15 minutes left? Okay. Y'all hang with me for like 10 minutes and then we'll do like a response at the end? Okay. Not that you have a choice, but if you need to leave, you can. Um, <laughs> so for me, when I think about what do I do? How do I pour out my heart to the Lord? Uh, here's a few thoughts. Um, with the fall coming up, there may be some things where we just need to slow down. It's kind of like my first thought is we can't really pour out our heart when we don't slow down enough to know what even is happening inside. And I think some of us can use, I know I can, I can use work to numb what's happening in my life. It's like, I don't want to feel sad. No one wants to feel sad, so let's just watch Netflix all weekend. There might be a time for that, but um, if it's a good show, right? But, but if we don't slow down, and it may just be something like scheduling, where we need to recognize we need some space, we need some Sabbath. It's a rat race just to get to the next thing, and we don't... And, um, and in, in, so for me with grad school, I, I commuted down to Chattanooga. I went to Richmond Graduate University. And so every week I had four hours in the car by myself and I didn't know how much I needed it. I called it windshield time. And, and towards the end of those three years of commuting for three years, I think my, my sweet little Pathfinder that I have now has like, more, like 50 more thousand miles on it than before. But, um, but my heart feels way more rested and I feel way more in tune to my soul, I would turn the radio off and I'd be like, I don't even know what I'm feeling, God. I'm just be honest, you know, this would be my windshield time, you know? 
And uh, I would almost sometimes feel, I don't care if this is inappropriate, but I would just say, I just feel emotionally constipated, God. I have no idea. Like, I just, like, what is happening in me? And I would need, and I would need to name the things that I was feeling. So for me, slowing down, disconnecting from kind of some social media stuff to connect with my heart, um, journaling, you know, I don't know how many of you guys are journalers. Um, this is, this is a journal that, that I've been using over the last year. And, and sometimes it's just tears and snot and spilled coffee. And it's like, God, like just here's, here's Jared. And I don't know what I'm feeling. And I'll just write down some of the core emotions. And I'm like, yeah. loneliness. Yeah. Loneliness, shame, fear. And I'll try to kind of hone into what, what's happening on the inside, pour out my heart to the Lord. Um, there's more I could say about pouring your heart out to the Lord, but, I, but however you do it, I encourage you to do it. If it's walking out in nature, some, some of you I know probably really connect with God, just needing to get out and see some green. Or, oh, when October comes, I call it Rocktober because of the leaves and everything. Um, I just, I love being able to let my heart just breathe before the Lord, to pour out my heart to him. Because if I don't, if I stuff it in there and if I ignore, I begin to find comfort or cope and ways that are unhealthy or sinful, or I take it out on other people, or I blame someone, or when it's just, I need to pour my heart out to God. So the final thing is kind of leading into maybe some response time here, but so with this scripture, if we can put 62.8 up there one more time, trust in him at all times, O people, Pour out your hearts before him. And then the last thing, God is a refuge for us. So if you've ever been really cold, like in a blizzard like this, um, I have a picture of this really cold scene. I mean, imagine going into that shelter and feeling warm after being outside. I mean, if you've been snow skiing, you know, and you get a little bit of snow like in your glove and you're like, oh, I thought I'd put it on right. Um, you can't wait to have the hot chocolate and be warm on the inside. And so sometimes in, in life when it's the storm and we've been out there and we've retired, we're cold or, or like um, thinking of God as a lighthouse, like the waves have been crashing around. Um, we can show that picture too, Jacob but that God is a refuge for us. He's, he's our anchor. He's our shelter. He's the, he's the center. He's the grounding point. When ships don't know, when they're being blown around by the wind and by the storms, that Jesus is our lighthouse. He is our firm foundation. He is our rock, our strong tower. And so we have that reference point again, and we come to him we pour out our heart to him. And then the question is then, who is God for you in the midst of your fear, in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your loneliness, in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your guilt, in the midst of the great pain that you've been carrying around for years and years and years and years, who is God for you? because he's a refuge. So in our hurt, he's the comforter, he's the healer. 
In our fear, he's our protector, our provider, our sustainer. In our shame, we come and we receive humility and our help in time of need, like it says in Hebrews 4, where we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We've sinned, we've messed up, we've done something in secret, we've got to come, we feel shameful about it. But then in humility, we recognize he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses and we find help and washing and restoration in our time of need. God is a refuge for us in our loneliness. He's Emmanuel. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And so what I'd love for us to do right now, Alex and Crystal are gonna just play over us and play a song. And I wanna put these, um, these emotions on the board here. And there's a lot of different kind of offshoots of this and life is so much more than happy or unhappy. <laughs> you know, we would like for it to be that simple. But there's so many nuances to the way we're feeling on the inside. And sometimes it helps to just name it so that we know who God is for us in the midst of that. And so if you need to come and kneel or if you want to sit where you are, close your eyes, maybe it's just a place of taking inventory. Okay, self, what, what am I feeling? God, what am I feeling? I need to pour that out to you today. Who are you for me? And so we'll just end with our eyes focused up on Jesus, our refuge. And so in the midst of the storm, you know, he's our lighthouse. He's our refuge. Thank you, God.